morning. Oh, someone said good morning, Grace. I feel so greeted, <laughs> welcomed. Um, my name is Grace. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at the River. I'm so glad you could join us this morning. You know, in the last 10 years or so, there's been a resurgence of ancient Stoicism. Uh, if you're not familiar with this philosophy, it's my understanding that it is a philosophy, but also a kind of tool or posture of life in the pursuit of self-mastery with values of perseverance and wisdom, the end goal being to become a virtuous person. The focus is on controlling what you can control, which is often yourself, and surrendering everything else that's out of your control. And what I find really interesting about this resurgence is not only are ancient books on the topic growing in sales, but Stoicism has also managed to permeate pop culture, main, mainstream culture in a way that most philosophies never do. If you were to read a number of self-help resources, you would come across it. You could find it on TikTok or Instagram. Seneca, the elder who was one of these ancient Stoic philosophers is known for saying, no evil propensity of the human heart is so powerful that it may not be subdued by discipline. So you can hear within that this emphasis on self-mastery. But the irony is the Stoics are known for never actually producing a sage or a person who could live up to their ideal of virtue their moral ideals. The prophet Jeremiah, he was like a, a mouthpiece for God. He spoke to God's people on God's behalf, often with words of warning, described the human heart a bit differently. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can even understand it? Now, I invite you to hear this less like a proverbial statement and more like a lament, because I think that's what it is. Jeremiah is like the Enneagram 4 of the prophets. He was like the weeping prophet, and he's looking around at all this violence and destruction that human beings are causing and doing, and he says, wow, the human heart is sick. I wonder if this lament resonates with you in any way. When you think about this in the context of what's happening in our world, our country, our city, the injustice, the violence, I wonder if this lament resonates with you when you think about it in the context of your life. Maybe you can bring to mind a time that you said or did something that wasn't especially helpful, maybe harmful, and you weren't even sure why you did it. Maybe you can bring to mind a lie that you've believed about yourself. And no matter the amount of work, it somehow still comes up because it's rooted so deeply. Now, let me clarify something. In ancient Hebraic culture, the heart was not just like this mushy, gushy, rom-com symbol that you slap on a Valentine's Day card. It was so much more than that. To them, the heart was the place where you discerned truth from lies. It was where you developed understanding, how you made sense of life. 
It was the seat of your will, your affections, your deepest desires. We might use words like conscience, soul, inner being to, to try to describe what they are capturing with this language of the heart. Some spiritual writers have compared the human heart to a canyon or a cavern, which I think is a helpful picture because it's so full of mystery. It's easy to get lost trying to figure out what's in our own heart. There are dark corners. It's easy for bitterness, resentment, anger to hide. Shame can grow like weeds without even us knowing it. Insecurities insidiously take up more space than we really would like. The heart is the center of your emotional, intellectual, and spiritual life. And that's why there's this line in the Bible that says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Lent is a season that offers us an opportunity to engage in specific spiritual practices, possibly with more intensity or intentionality than we do throughout the rest of the year. And we engage in these disciplines not so much because by the disciplines and our own strength, we're able to wrestle all of the darkness in our hearts. But more like through the practices, we give God more access to our hearts. And God can heal, cleanse, restore, expose, and soften our hearts in ways that we can't even always imagine. So during the season of Lent, we're gonna look at how the Bible describes the deepest problems of our heart that we might grow in understanding of what God wants to do and how to become more whole integrated people. So let me say a prayer for us and then we'll dive into the passage for today. God, in the canyon of our heart, we're asking you to be our guide to do a kind of work that only you can, to help us persevere in the practices we commit ourselves to that you, that you might do a good work. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be in the book of Mark, which tells the story of Jesus. We're going to start at verse 45, but let me give you a little bit of context here. So Jesus had sent out his closest followers to essentially go about the work that Jesus is doing. Uh, Spread the good message that Jesus is sharing and they come back and they report and they're tired and probably need a break. Only little problem, Jesus is like trending and people keep following him and come and going. And so Jesus wants to take the disciples away to a place of rest. They haven't even had a chance to eat lunch. And then like thousands of people show up. And so Jesus has compassion and he begins teaching them. And as the time goes on and it gets later and later, the disciples are like, oh, can we wrap this up? Like if we don't leave now, nobody's gonna get dinner. We're in the middle of nowhere. But Jesus has a different plan and says, you feed them. So they like get out their spreadsheets and calculators and they're like, no way, that's gonna cost way too much. How are we supposed to do that? So Jesus takes the food that they do have, a few loaves of bread and some fish, and feeds everybody. 
And not like everybody got a crouton, like everybody was satisfied. They were full and there was leftovers, this really cool, miraculous thing. So that's where we pick up the story today in verse 45. This is what it says. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. While he sent the people home, after telling everybody goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Okay, so just a quick summary here. Remember, the disciples are exhausted. It's been a really long day. And now they're facing this strong wind and they can't get to the other side. It's the middle of the night. Their joints are aching. Their hands can't even grip the oar anymore. And if it were me, I would be grouchy. I just imagine John is probably like, guys, we got this. We can do this. And Peter's like, we don't need a cheerleader. Just keep going. You're hardly trying conflict is brewing and just when they give up hope that jesus is going to do anything he gets on the boat and the wind calms down it says that they were amazed what do you think they're amazed about what amazes them are they amazed because jesus has power over this wind and the storm it's possible. I just find that somewhat unlikely because a couple chapters earlier, they're in a different storm and Jesus calms that storm. And then he feeds thousands of people with a couple loaves of bread. And so this idea that Jesus is capable of miracles is not really new to them. But it says they're amazed. So what amazes them? I find this whole story pretty intriguing. It's almost like Mark, the writer, is trying to draw your attention to the fact that Jesus waited hours before he went down there. It says late in the night, he saw them. They were in serious trouble. And then at like three or four in the morning, he came down to the lake. And when he does come to them, it's not because he's intending this grand rescue. He intends to pass them by. Maybe they're amazed because Jesus didn't do anything like what they thought he would do. He showed up late and he was going to walk past them. Why did Jesus wait so long? Why do you think he intended to just pass them by? You know, in a specific season of my life that felt like 
definitely a storm season. I was pastoring a church in Canada, which in and of itself was challenging, but then I was experiencing this long, chronic health illness flare that was so chaotic, I had to fly home to Fresno for a few weeks just to try to get my body to rest and reach baseline. And it really felt like in that season, God was passing me by and showing up late and just watching the storm. But because of some advice I received from a friend who strongly exhorted me to like commit myself to pursuing the presence of God, doing the practices, which is so hard when it feels like God isn't there, she said, just read your Bible, listen to worship music, pray, whatever you have to do to be near to God, don't stop. And because I knew how easy it is in those kinds of seasons just to keep God like out here and to actually even push people away who love you for your heart to become hard, I followed her advice. And this one morning I drove to a park to read my Bible and pray and this man walked up to the front of my car as I parked and he was staring at me. And I felt really uneasy. I almost drove away, but then he walked up to my window and started talking to me. So I rolled down my window and he started talking about challenges he was experiencing at work. And he told me that there was alcohol in the bottle he was drinking. And we talked for a while. And then he asked me what I was doing there. And I told him I was there to read my Bible. And his face lit up and he said, have you read the verse of the day? like not the turn in the conversation I was expecting. I said, no, I don't have that app. And he said, oh, it's a good one. Let me read it to you. So he pulls out his phone. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. That was one of the most significant encounters I've ever had with God. It was so clear to me that God was speaking to me through this man, not only because that verse perfectly described my situation and with a word of hope that one day I would reap with songs of joy, but also because it's from one of my favorite Psalms, 126, and I had turned to it many times that year. And it was that encounter alone that gave me the courage to go back and do the work that I was doing. And to think I almost drove away and missed it. I think this is kind of what Jesus is doing for the disciples. They want him to change their circumstances. He wants to assure them of his presence. Because even if he calms this storm, there's many more to come. And maybe what they need to really hear is that even if they fell off the boat and drowned in the deep, he would be there. This phrase, to pass by, is actually like an Old Testament motif. I'm going to get a little abstract here, but stick with me. It's a technical term for like an epiphany. And a similar story where this guy Moses is struggling to maintain courage in the face of a difficult situation, God shows up not by changing the circumstances, but by passing by, revealing his divine goodness and glory. He says to Moses, my presence will go with you. I will give you rest. I will cause all my goodness to pass before you, and my glory will pass you by. The Bible scholar Tim Gaddert said it this way, when God passes by, 
It's not a sign of unconcern or non-involvement. It's a sign of caring presence. Jesus is trying to reveal his goodness and glory to the disciples. But they miss it. They misunderstand. They don't even recognize Jesus. They think he's a ghost. And this is part of the danger of having a heart that is hard. You might completely miss Jesus. The way that he's coming to you, the goodness that he's showing you every day, his presence in your life. We just wrapped up this group discussion on the book Blood Brothers by Elias Shakur. He is a Palestinian Christian who has been working for peace in Israel-Palestine for most of his life. He was born in a Palestinian village in Galilee. If you haven't read the book yet, highly recommend. It's in my top five faves, I think. And over and over again in our discussion, we talked about how encouraged, convicted, humbled, challenged we were by this man's life and his heart. Because given the treacherous violence that he and his family experienced and witnessed, it would be very understandable and valid if his heart was calloused, if he lived with this desire of wanting revenge. But yet it's full of rich compassion, mercy, humbly seeking truth, seeking justice. And that's not to say that he was never angry, but he was never consumed by the anger. And I think there's a couple things that we can glean and a couple conclusions we can draw from his life. The first is, I do think his commitment to the teachings of Jesus, the way he was seeking God's presence and the faith and character passed down by his parents is what helped keep his heart soft. And that the opposite is true. That because his heart was soft, he had an understanding of God's presence in his life, an assurance that God was with him. Even as a young child, he would go off into the hills to seek solitude with Jesus, who he called his champion. Jesus was real to him. My hope and expectation for us in the season of Lent is not only that we might give God more access to our hearts through these practices, but also that we would grow an understanding of him. That we would walk away with greater assurance of his presence and that that assurance would give us courage to act boldly in pursuit of his vision of justice and righteousness. That we would rely and be confident on his goodness. So through the season of Lent, one of the practices that we are inviting you all into is the examine. The examine is a tool to reflect on our day, to notice where we felt like God was present, where was God absent, and to bring awareness to our hearts, to give God access to our hearts. So this morning, I'm going to pray for us, but before we engage in more musical worship, as we often do, I'm going to lead us into the practice of the examine. And so let me say a prayer for us before we start, just a way of settling into this space.
God, we may not always feel it or recognize it, but within us there is a desire to know you more, to be more sure of your presence, and to be close to you. So I pray that we would be in touch with that desire right now, that you would draw near to us in this space. Amen. So with your eyes closed, just take a moment to settle in and ask God in your own way to make his presence known to you. If you'd like, you can place your hands, palms up on your lap as a gesture of openness to receive. spend a few moments thanking God for one or two of the blessings, big or small, that you received in the last couple days. Now think about your relationship with God and talk to him about it. Does God feel close or distant? Blurry? How do you feel when you turn to God? Do you feel joy or comfort or fear? how he sees your relationship. How does he see you? Now do a brief scan over the last couple days watching is how the days played out. Where did you notice Jesus with you? Is there anywhere you feel like Jesus wasn't with you? Now, zooming now, looking at the big picture, how would you describe the character of Jesus revealed to you over the last couple days? 
Is he a friend? A comforter? A savior? A healer? Jesus who you are in light of who he is. If he showed up as a friend, you might say, Lord, you are my friend when my heart was lonely. Now look to tomorrow. How do you need Jesus to show up for you? Do you need him to be your shepherd, your leader, your teacher, your friend? God, we are grateful for the gift of your presence, that you are with us even when we don't feel it. And I pray for all of us through the season of Lent that you would give us perseverance to keep seeking after your presence, that you would fill us with the hope and courage we need to do so, to go about your good work. God, I ask that you would do immeasurably more in us than what we could imagine. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.